So we're in this uh, series called Celebration of Hope, and we're shining a light on the fact that we get to celebrate the hope that is found in Jesus Christ as we are mobilized and deployed here on earth to bring the values of the kingdom of heaven. And last week, uh, I talked about the fact that we as a church are, are called to stretch out our hands, and when we stretch out our hands uh, in some mysterious supernatural way, we stretch out the hand of Jesus. And I, I, I quoted 16th century Spanish nun, Teresa Avila, who said this, she said, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. Christ has no hands, no feet now on earth but yours. And then listen to this, yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on this world. There's a pretty well-known story told about William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And William Booth uh, did ministry to the poor. And in fact, he was, he was named the prophet of the poor. And when he passed away, there's actually 40,000 people attended his funeral, 40,000 people. It was said that 140,000 people uh, came for the funeral procession. 140,000 people to honour him. Well, on Christmas Eve in 1910, when his health had failed him, someone suggested that he would write a telegram to the delegates who would gather shortly in January for uh, the Salvation Army Conference. And so he agreed and wrote a telegram and when it came to the moment that the moderator would read it, there was uh, Salvation Army pastors and leaders, thousands of them, in this stadium. And the moderator announced that because of uh, Booth's failing health, he was unable to be there, but he has written a telegram. And the moderator came to that time to read it, and the place just went in absolute hush and silence in anticipation of this telegram that would be the last telegram ever written by William Booth, and in this telegram, he wrote one word, and that one word was others. And in one word, William Booth captured the nature of Jesus, others. The writer of Hebrews says like this in Hebrews 13, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, the first part of that verse 15, we, we've notably just done that. We've lifted our voices to a loud praise. But we also need to draw our attention that we need to do the second part of that, and that is a loud activism, that we would do something with our faith, that we would love loudly. God's people that he's wanting to reach, for the Bible is full of one another's, one another's. The Christian faith is essentially to love God and to love others for God and for others. When we see brokenness in someone or something, 
we're called to make a difference. We're called to step into that gap. When we see brokenness in the foster care crisis or the age out crisis or abandoned and abused children crisis in our country, our response should not be outrage but outreach. These kids don't need our outrage alone. They need our outreach. Listen to this. Outrage stops at pointing out what is wrong. Sometimes we can get really good at that, can't we? We get, we get really stirred up and we point at what is wrong. But outreach, outreach starts at saying, let's bring solutions. And so in this series of Celebration of Hope, we're coming around this theme that we are called to bring solutions to the brokenness that we see in this world. So the foster care system in North Carolina, listen to these two statistics. There is 15,043 kids currently in out-of-home placements. Okay, 15,000. All right, look at this next number. There's 12,182 churches in North Carolina. If God has not already poised the church, those numbers show that he has. All right, what about like we bring it in really, really close? Durham County. Durham County currently has 403 children in out-of-home placements. Get ready for this number. We have 251 churches in Durham County alone. You see, we have to understand that true vertical worship is adoration. It always demands a horizontal impact to the life of others. As we move from just being people that would offer up our worship vertically, that we would understand we have a call on our lives and a call as a church to reach out, to impact others, to be for God and to be for others. So in the moments remaining that we have together, uh, I wanna introduce you to someone who has lived out and experience what it means to be in the foster care crisis. This young man is currently uh, at Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He has an incredible story, and I think you're really gonna be moved by the power of God in the midst of brokenness in our world. And we're gonna be encouraged and hopefully inspired and fired up to do something to step in and to bring solutions. So with that, New Hope, would you give a huge welcome to Michael Weitzman. What a blessing so much, brother. It's gonna be awesome. Welcome, my friend. Thanks a lot for having me, Pastor Reese. Absolutely. You know, we've uh, spent a lot of time uh, yesterday and, and Zooming in preparation for today, and uh, I'm really moved uh, for New Hope to hear your story. And so uh, jump us in, like, right at the start. Uh, how did you come to be part of uh, the FOSTER program? Yeah, Reese. so my story starts back in Southern California, 
and I was born to a single mom who was 18 years old. Mm. And after she has me, she continues having children, so now, now I'm the oldest of 10. Wow. And at a year old, my younger brother, who was three months old, he passes away suddenly of something called sudden infant death syndrome, which mm. is where you just suffocate in your sleep. Wow. And the authorities were tasked with checking up on my well-being and making sure that I was taken care of. And three days later, they find me home alone, sitting on the kitchen floor with a knife in my hands. You're, you're one years old? One years old. Wow. And so that right there was the day that I became a foster kid. And so over the next 18 months, until I'm two and a half years old, I navigate six different homes within the foster system of Southern California and eventually get to home number six where I live with my grandfather. Um, and I stay there for two and a half years. And I mean, Reese, honestly, every day there was physical and sexual abuse that took place. Mm. But one of the most vivid memories that I have of that season wasn't really the abuse because due to God's graciousness in my life, I really don't remember that. But what I do remember is the way I would survive was by begging for food at gas stations and fast food restaurants to the point where Taco Bell down the street had my order memorized. Hang on, how old are you at this point? Two and a half to five. Three years old, I could walk out of our mobile home down the street to Taco Bell and get what I usually get. Wow. And so that's how I survived for two and a half years, just adverse neglect. And uh, God, again, steps in, and I moved to home number seven for a couple weeks, and then I get to home number eight. But before I go on, I wanna talk about one thing that stood out from that traumatic environment for two and a half years. I remember that even though I wasn't in a healthy family, I wasn't surrounded by people that were God-fearing or loved Jesus, mm. there was something in me that inherently knew that what I was living through was not good, it was mm. not right, mm. and what I had was not really a family. So right. Mm. And this thought gripped me to the point that every night I would find myself on my knees beside my bed, and I would just say a few simple words. Mm. I would say, dear Jesus, give me a mommy and a daddy. Mm. And home number seven comes and goes, and then home number eight comes, and Reese, I was adopted. Mm. Three months after arriving at home number eight, I get adopted. Wow. And so my prayer for a mommy and a daddy gets answered. And you're five years old at this point. Five years old. So walk us through, gosh, you've lived so much in that first five years, like more than most people. Uh, this is an incredible turning point. So you, you come into a forever home. Right. And this is at five years old, so walk us on. What, what happens then? Yeah, so I get adopted by this incredible Christian family. Uh, they have five kids already. So I become the youngest of six. They have two of their own biological children. Then they adopted two from Korea. They adopted one from Russia, and then they got me. So really, I'm the only one that wasn't designer. Okay. And so... <laughs> And so, man, Reese, at five years old, I get introduced to the church. Mm. And I remember on the way to church, like three months into this home, I accept Jesus. Like before Come we on. even get to church, I Come couldn't on. wait. And accept Jesus. And then I accepted him every Sunday after that just yep. to make sure I was in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> and so at a young age, the word of God was planted within my heart mm. and I was introduced to him in a variety of capacities Wow. through the church. Mm, mm. But Reese, despite all of my physical needs being met, even though I wasn't living through neglect, there was something else that wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. 
Because the truth of the matter is that I came with five years of significant hurt, yeah, yeah. significant brokenness, mm -hmm. and that brokenness exposed some cracks within the home that I had moved into mm -hmm. that were already there. Mm -hmm. And because of my brokenness and uh, my parents not really knowing how to cope with what I was struggling with, or having the support, the wraparound support around them mm -hmm. to truly know how to help me and assist me in mm -hmm. walking through and navigating these struggles. At 15 years old, it was decided best that I leave that family. Mm -hmm. And so at 15, I re-enter the foster system. So after 10 years, five years old, you feel like, my prayer has yeah, been answered. look at God. Yeah, you enter a forever home that was 10 years actually. It's hard to imagine, like tell us about how that felt to have security, but then to have that security taken away. Yeah. And, and you're once again re-entered into the system. Yeah. Reese, I think the simplest way to explain it is, you know, and you, you coined it perfectly, it's a forever family, right? Mm. When a child is adopted, we call it a forever family. Mm. And in the matter of an instant, I went from forever to forgotten. And that's what it felt like, right? Yeah. And, and so I re-enter the system and truly take all the trauma from the first five years mm -hmm. and pile it up and group it in one bucket, it still doesn't weigh as much as the hurt of that one thing. Wow. Because there's emptiness and there's hopelessness when you see this 10-year promise of God that had been answered mm -hmm. ripped away from you. Yeah, yeah. So now we're house number nine? Yeah, number nine, yeah. Wow. Okay, so you go into a group home for a couple of weeks, then home number 10 is another group home. Yeah. There's like 28 teenagers here. Yeah. And you said to me at dinner last night, it was, it was like a prison. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, Reese, I remember, I mean, vividly, I don't think I'll ever forget this. The day I walked through the double doors, it was, a, it was in Long Beach, California, and it was the second floor of this abandoned hospital. Um, and I walked through the double doors, and instantly, like a physical, tangible weight, a spiritual darkness and oppression weighed upon my shoulders, and it just sat there. And it did not move, and it did not dissipate for three months that I lived there. And so there's 14 boys and 14 girls, all ha who have experienced adverse trauma that honestly makes my story sound easy. Come on. And I remember listening to the stories of kids there and just being like captured yet gripped at the same time with like, how can I even complain when like the stuff they're going through isn't like even humane? Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, just to give you a, a, a crystal clear example, I mean, I remember seeing young girls who were 12, 13 years old who were living here with me that would steal scissors from the staff's desk and cut their arms open in front mm. of us all. There were bars over the window. I mean, truly in every way, this place resembled prison. And the thing that struck me the most about it was uh, I would look out my barred window mm -hmm. every single day. And it was the summer of 2012, and I'm 15 years old, should be at the beach. Mm. And there's a freeway, a massive freeway, um, this, this, uh, 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 it's in my gaze out, out the window. And every day I just see cars driving by endlessly. It's California, so mm -hmm. traffic doesn't stop. And I see cars and every day I think to myself, everyone is free except me. Mm. And the truth is 
that like you, you just showed the stats, 403 kids in this county alone feel that every single day, Reese. 403 kids right now are on their knees praying for a mommy and a daddy. That's crazy. It is, yeah. So you leave that group home. So now we're... Number 11. Yeah. Number 11. Number 11, yeah. All right, so I wanna take a pause here. And I wanna say, you must have had such a hard heart towards God at this point in your life. As a teenager of 15 and everything that you had endured, um, you must want nothing to do with God. Yeah, and you know, Reese, I would say that my heart was hard, yet somehow it was just soft enough. Soft enough Ooh. for the truth of God's word uh-huh. and the faithfulness of his people who would eventually come to actually make an impact. Uh-huh. And I really don't, I wanna uh, dismiss the notion that I had anything to do with that to begin with, mm. but honestly, I could point back to being a five-year-old kid mm-hmm. and the seeds of the word of God being planted mm. in my heart and for any of, anybody here who is maybe discouraged and has planted seeds of the word of God and hasn't seen them come to fruition, without our help, the Lord cannot help but turn his word into a wellspring of life. And I believe that God would have to deny his character yes. to not let the word of God be transformed into life eventually. And so at 15 so years old, a decade after it started being planted, uh-huh. without my help, without my assistance, God does it and wow. somehow keeps the soil just soft enough wow. for something to plant. Wow. Okay, so we're house 11, and uh, Chris? Yeah, Chris. <laughs> I keep calling him Graham. Yeah. Chris, <laughs> Chris uh, there's something in your life that maybe you hadn't had to this point, which is disciple you, disciple you in Jesus. Yep. Disciple you as a young man, and tell us about how that um, was introduced and what that looked like in house number 10. Yeah, that house number 11. Uh, 11. Yeah, so okay. I know, there's a lot to keep up with. And so, um, so home number 11, I get there, and this was a really unique season of my life because I graduate high school somehow at 16 years old while I'm living there. The next day, start working three different retail jobs, really just in an effort to figure out how to support myself, how to live and survive in Southern California in a couple years when I become an adult. And then Chris enters the scene. I mean, just honestly, Jesus intervenes on my Mm. behalf. Mm. And Chris intersects with my story and just starts to take me to church with his family on Sundays. Mm So every weekend would take me to church, pick me up from the home. And it was the one time of the week that I would feel, feel normal. The one time of the week that I felt like I'm just like everyone else. Hmm. And he would take me to church with his family. And can, can I tell you a joke, Reese? <laughs> Go on. The, the reason I loved going to church was honestly for a foster kid, churches are the first place they have a dad. And so, and so it, you, you can laugh at that. You're allowed to laugh. But like, <laughs> truthfully, it was the first place that I really felt like a father figure entered the scene. Yeah, come on. Mm-hmm. And so Chris begins to take me to church with him and his family, follows me over to home number 12. So I go to another home. Okay. Yep, so now I've got a dozen homes. I could fill an egg carton with homes at this point. Yeah, yeah. And Chris follows me to that one, and there's this looming fear, this looming sense of hopelessness that begins to creep into the scene that okay. clouds the entire landscape. And it's the reality 
that at 18 years old, Reese, when I turned 18 on my birthday, I was not getting a party thrown for me and I wasn't receiving a gift. I'd be given an eviction notice because at 18 years old, foster kids are removed from the home and sent on their way mm. with a pat on the back and a good luck. And so Chris remains with me and I remember at 17 years old, sitting with him at breakfast mm -hmm. and saying, Chris, I believe that God is faithful and I believe that God could do anything with my story, mm. anything that he wants. Mm. But I don't know what he's doing. I don't see him moving. I really am afraid that I'm shortly going to be homeless. Mm. And he speaks up and says, well, you know, my dad owns a company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And if you want, we could probably set you up with a job and a place to live. And I mean, I'm imagining Tulsa to be like dirt roads, people riding horses and tumbleweeds <laughs> blowing, right? And so, but I say yes, because that's all I've got. Uh -huh. And six days later, his dad buys my one-way ticket to Tulsa. Wow. And at 17 and a half years old, I leave the foster system of Southern California. I leave my home number 12. Mm -hmm. I leave a pool of hopelessness mm. and desolation. Mm. And I move to Oklahoma to start a new life for myself. Wow. So a lot has obviously happened in the next 10 years. So kind of like walk us through, um, you know, now, now you're at university, but what's happened in the last 10 years? Yeah, so the biggest thing that happened when I arrived in Tulsa, my mentor, Chris's dad, ends up becoming like a spiritual father to me. Mm. Truly disciples me teaches me the truths in God's word, teaches me to drive. Like the normal stuff that you're gonna do with your son Chase in a few years mm -hmm. here is what he was doing with me. Okay, slow down, I got, I got to Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something happened. Like the seeds continued to take root mm -hmm. and like actually turned into life. Again, wow. without my help. But God used not the faithfulness of Jesus, but the faithfulness of Jesus through the faithfulness of his people yeah. to radically transform and alter the trajectory of my life for the rest of it. And so from that point on, uh, God has radically changed everything and has entered the scene and done some really incredible things that I'm just blessed to have been a part of. I've been able to go on like eight different mission trips and live overseas, serving kids all across the globe was a youth pastor for six years, mentoring and discipling literally hundreds of teenagers mm. in our city, um, really rooted in what I needed as a kid and how can I give it to as many kids as I can. Yeah. Um, yeah. And dude, literally have baptized kids in bathtubs Come and on. rivers and lakes. Wherever we can see a puddle, we'll get you dunked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But the, the thing that's been most special, the thing that's been most meaningful, most transformative, foundational in my life is consistently, unendingly, Jesus's grace and faithfulness has followed me. Come on. And it has wrapped around me. Mm -hmm. And the way he's done that is, like I said, through the faithfulness of his people. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hosea chapter 11, verse four. God's speaking to the Israelites and he says, I led you with cords of human kindness mm and through ties of love. And that is how Jesus has interacted in my life most. Because Reese, now there are like four or five different families. In Tulsa, there's another three or four families in Kansas City. There, I mean, there are families all across this country, truly, that have intersected with my story mm. to the point where now families are fighting over me for holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen God use his people yep. 
their relentless pursuit of me and my brokenness to truly transform the narrative of my life. And the last thing I'll say on that piece is, I think we live in a culture, especially where my generation is trying to prove to the world that they're self-made, that they can do it on their own, that mm-hmm. they can get there on their own, that they don't need help. Mm-hmm. And like, let me just debunk that theory yeah. real fast. So good. I'm so far from self-made. Yeah. Like, and every passing day, I become more and more aware of how little of a part I've played and where I am in my life and just how big of a part Jesus has played through the mm. people that are in it. Mm. And so that's truly how we get here today. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like this when we were uh, spending time yesterday, um, but I know this church would want me to say these. It's you, uh, such a credit, not only to the grace of Jesus alive in your life, but you have every reason to, as I said earlier, to have that hard heart, yeah. but you don't. I love that term you use, like just enough. It was soft, just enough. Yeah that I left the door cracked so right. that God exactly. could have his way in your life. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are so proud of Thank how you. you are using your life to shine the light and hope of Jesus Christ. And so yes. we bless Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we spent like a couple of hours talking about this one thing I want to ask you to share. Yeah. And um, you can't go for two hours. But <laughs> it was about something new that God's doing in your life. Yeah. And when you uh, so graciously went to this area in your life with me, um, it maybe moved me the most. Uh, aside from just how traumatic and, and moving your childhood is, uh, when you talk about God's activity in your life, uh, as a listener, I couldn't help but recognize the Spirit of God in you, and it's beautiful. There is something, because of the trauma that God has planted his hand in your life, that you have an incredible ministry with your story, but that you tell your story that it's not finished, that yeah. it wasn't in the past, but God is active right now. And when you got onto this part about what God is doing new, uh, I would love you to share that with us this yeah. morning. Reese, honestly, this is truly the only part of my story I want to share. Because like yeah. you said, like, it's so special to see what God does. Yeah. Right? It's so yeah. special to see, again, without our help, that he does. Um, so after living with my adoptive family for 10 years, you guys know the story now. Like, I left, and 10 years later, okay, or close to 10 years later, in 2021, I get a text message from my adoptive family. Still living in Southern California and I rarely talk to them. If we do, it's just kind of a check-in text message. And they're driving on a road trip from Southern California to Tennessee. They're gonna stop through Oklahoma. They wanna do dinner. And so they text me and they say, hey, can we meet up for dinner? And so I'm like, yeah, I guess we can. And honestly, Reese, like just because of my personality and the way I'm bent, I really want nothing to do with him at this point. Like, I'm hurt, I'm Mm -hmm. broken, Mm -hmm. and I've done all that I can to really just circumvent the pain and just move on. Mm -hmm. And now it's re-entering the scene. Mm -hmm. And what's wild is, Reese, for 10 years, I acknowledged to Jesus, you could fix this if you wanted to, and then begged him not to. Wow, wow. And I just reflect on just how broken I was to beg the Lord Mm -hmm. 
to beg the most high God to not do the thing that is literally his job description, yeah. redeeming broken things, right? And so I've lived that for a decade now. Mm. They wanna meet up for dinner, so I say yes, and they come through. Mm. And three hours later, like we're still at dinner. I don't wanna be at dinner with anybody that long, mm -hmm. but especially <laughs> not people that I've been hurt by, right? And so right, right. I'm at dinner three hours later, and I just pause. I'm like, you know, guys, I have to ask this question. Mm. Like, why are we here? Like, what do you guys want? Mm. Especially out of this relationship. Mm. Mm. And Reese, with tears in her eyes, mm. my adoptive mom looks at me and she says, we want reconciliation. We want redemption. We want restoration. And she begins to describe what that looks like about how they wanna be at my wedding how they want pictures of their grandkids on the wall, mm. how they wanna know me and my wife. They want the same thing they've got with their other five kids with me. Mm. And my dad goes on to say that we wanna take everything negative that's happened in the past and leave it there and move forward in forgiveness with you as our son. Wow. And then he looks at me, and I'll never forget this moment. He looks at me, he says, what do you want? Mm. Mm. Man. And so Reese, honestly, I said, I don't want any of that. Yeah. I want none of that. In fact, I've begged God, please don't do that. Like, that's the one thing. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. But I refuse to stand in the way of any narrative that God is gonna write. So and good. so yes. I said, if Jesus is in this and if Jesus is doing this, which we already know he is, then I commit to being an active participant in that narrative. Way to go. And so... We've been on this journey the last year and a half, really, of learning what true biblical reconciliation is, what wow. true biblical forgiveness is, what family truly is supposed to look like. And let me be clear, like, we're not there. Like, we haven't landed. Like you said, Jesus is still currently and actively writing the story. Yeah. Um, but the good news is, Jesus is far better of an author than you and I will ever be, right. or that right. any other author will That's ever right. be. That's good. And so my hope is sure that Jesus is in this yeah. and that when he chooses, that everything will fully culminate yeah. to healthy and whole. Yeah. And all I can do is the small part that I've been asked to do, but he's in it, he's blessed it, and we're taking strides to move forward. Yeah, so good, so good. Way to go, brother. Thanks. Very cool. Um, so we land the plane. Yeah. If you would have one thing that you would like to share, last thing, uh, with this beautiful congregation, what would it be? Yeah. Can I show you a story? Yeah, yeah. You like school with one more story? Yeah. So this was in November, I heard this, just a few months ago, literally. Uh, I heard the story of this young girl who grew up in foster care, navigates the foster system, countless homes, like literally 20 or 22 different homes. Like puts my story to shame. Uh, there's part of her story is at 10 years old, her social worker finds her grandparents, brings her to their doorstep to meet her family, and she arrives just giddy, excited that finally family enters the scene. Maybe this is a thing that will alter the rest of my life. Mm. And she shows up to her grandparents' doorstep with a smile on her face. And her grandparents come to the door, social worker standing behind her at a distance, Grandparents come to the door, they recognize her as their granddaughter, and they look at her and they say, go away, do not come back, you are not welcome here. Mm. And so she goes back to her foster home, probably in tears, and those who knew her 
and who were around her and involved in her life to some capacity would always describe this longing for family, mm. right? This long, this deep desire to belong and to be loved by a family. Mm -hmm. And at 18 years old, eventually she's at her last foster home. She got pregnant at 17 and at 18 has her first child, continues to have children, has none of the children now, and has really just produced a lot more children that will enter the system of brokenness. Mm. And I remember I was so gripped by this woman's story when I heard it because Reese, that woman's my biological mother. And I talked to her for maybe the sixth or seventh time in my life in November. Wow. And it was just like a five or six minute conversation. And I was on the way to the gym. And I mean, I remember walking into the gym, tears flowing down my face because here's why. Hopefully, you know, I hope that God gives me a lot more opportunities to share the story. Yeah. And if I get those, I will glorify him. Mm. But no one is asking her to share her story. Mm. And I believe that that story deserves just as much dignity because here's the truth, Reese. For so long, I struggled to figure out where I fit in this puzzle that we call the foster system. Because yeah. truthfully, like my life does not resemble that of a kid who's aged out of care. No. God has been faithful. Yep. Yet, I finally saw it. Had my mom grown up in a healthy home, mm. I would not be alive. Wow. My mom would not have thought to make the decision that she did, would not have gotten pregnant. Like, I should not exist mm -hmm. if it were not for the broken system. And that's evidence and indicative of the fact that Jesus can use the most broken of things to produce life. Come on. Right? But the truth is that if the church does not intervene, it was never the government's job, right? It was the church's job. Yes, yes. The church is God's plan A. Yeah. Like you said. Yeah, yeah. And if the church does not intervene, on behalf of vulnerable children, yep. more and more children will age out of care, produce just more kids that re-enter the system, and this is how the system perpetuates itself repeatedly. Yeah. And so I share this to dignify my mom mm. and to share the story of hope and faithfulness in my life that Jesus has shown up so that your church, so that in Durham County today, something can be different because of New Hope Church. Yeah. God bless you, brother. Thanks, Russ. Thank you, Arthur. <laughs> so we get to be part of making a difference. Here's some statistics to help you know what happens um, after aging out. 70% of human trafficking victims spent time in foster care, 70%. 65% end up in the prison system. 71% become pregnant within a year of aging out of foster care. And almost 50% of kids after aging out within 18 months are homeless. But there is hope, and we're it. We, the church, are the celebration of hope. We are the agents of hope to bring the preventative solutions that this broken system needs.
Our missional partner for others, we can go ahead and put the slide up, uh, have a unique QR code for us to be a part of. You click on that, you'll go to our main hub and you'll find four others and donations and you, cl and you click on that. Um, there's a Christian organisation that is committed to bringing these solutions that prevent vulnerable children being placed in the foster system in the first place. Now, why is partnership with four others so important? Because they do what the government cannot do, and that is care about these children's eternal adoption. From the Christian perspective, we care both about their earthly adoption as well as their eternal adoption. This is us being the church. And so because of our uh, children protection laws in the US, uh, we're unable to, to walk out and get uh, a packet that has a child's face on it and to know about that. But we can't let that stop us from donating $1 a day to be part of helping the system. And here at New Hope, what For Others is doing is making this unique that our giving is gonna impact locally. And so when you sign up today to give a dollar a day, there is specifically, and I wanna read these, there are nine things that For Others do. Firstly, they fund and support adoptive families. They prevent children from being placed into foster care, recruit and train foster families, find mentors for those, which just changed Michael's life when mentors came in, aged out of the foster care program, provide camp and college scholarships, offer free trauma counselling, provide housing for at-risk teens, reunite families who've been separated, and empower churches to become foster friendly. And so today, we're believing that some of you will recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life and, and prompt you to find out more about being a foster home yourselves. Some of you will go on a path to become uh, adoptive parents. And so Michael's gonna be out at the tent. Uh, Lydia is here from four others to answer questions. But uh, I really wanna encourage you to scan the code and be part of a new New Hope movement where we help bring solutions yeah. to this crisis. Yeah. James 1.27 tells us that religion that is acceptable to God is when you care for the orphan and the widows. What we do now with this, with our partnership with for others, is acceptable and pleasing to our God. Amen? I'm gonna ask if you would please stand to your feet and I'm gonna ask if Michael would lead us in a closing prayer. Thanks, bro. Jesus, we just come humbly before you today. We recognize that we are not deserving of your love, but mm. you give it freely. Right. We are broken vessels, but you use us anyway. Mm. And so Jesus, I don't take lightly the privilege to be with New Hope today. What you've rescued me from. That's right. But Jesus, right now we are contending for the 403 kids in Durham County yes, right God. now. Yes, Father. That need freedom. 
that need rescuing, that need to be introduced to the endless love Mm, of you. And so just right now, Lord, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in this place, Father God. We submit ourselves to your work, to to your will, to your way, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that there would be a special blessing and covering over New Hope Church, Jesus, that as they break chains Mm -hmm. of bondage for children, for vulnerable children in crisis in their backyard, that Father God, that you in turn would bless them, that Father God, that you would use hurting children to reconcile our hearts to you, Jesus. That's right that somehow when we step in to help kids and we think that we're doing them a justice, that we would actually be served as well and that somehow drawn closer to you. Thank you, God. Lord, make us ever aware of the fact that we are all really in a similar position. It's true. In needing, in need of adoption by you. That's right. And so, Lord, I pray that you can help us live that out both physically here on earth and spiritually in your kingdom. Yeah. We love you, Lord. We pray that you be glorified to this body. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you thank Michael Weitzman for us? Thank you, brother. See you up there.